Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, Pastor continues his Advent series with his next sermon, Love. Today we continue focusing and continuing this journey. We started last week, we were talking about hope. And if you remember last week, we were talking about a lot of people look at hope and they, they, they kind of uh, look to feelings or they look to desires. And remember, we shared some cute little things where we said, listen, uh, I may desire that my child cleans his or her room, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. We also talked about hope as a feeling and how that will let you down and leave you feeling empty when you think about hope uh, at this time of year. Uh, you know, there's probably a number of young ladies that are hoping their boyfriend will give them a diamond ring. That does not mean it's going to happen. And so, feeling hope that's based on a feeling or hope that's based on a desire can leave you empty and undone. But when we secure ourselves to the hope that we find in Jesus Christ, we know that that is a hope that we can count on because God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Numbers 23, 19, the Bible tells us this. And so today we continue this journey towards celebrating the greatest gift of all. And today, as you've already noticed, we want to focus on probably one of the most well-known passages or portions of Scripture in the world. In fact, uh, in talking to Nicodemus, if you look here in John chapter 3, in talking to Nicodemus, Jesus in very quick and short order actually reveals the facts, the evidence, the purpose, the proof, and the means of God's love. And so today, that's exactly what I want us to do. I want us to look at the facts. I want us to consider the evidence, the purpose, the proof, and the means of God's love. Because if we're going to appropriate God's love in our life, we must actually understand a little bit about God's love. See, the world, I say this all the time, we look for love in all the wrong places. We must look first to King Jesus if we're really going to understand love. So let's just jump right in in hopes that we might gain a clear understanding of this topic concerning love. Look at verse number 16. And I just want you to look at the very first few, few words here. It says, for God so loved the world. If you're a note taker, I want us to consider, like I said, the facts about God's love. It says, for God so loved the world. Now, for most of us, this doesn't seem far-fetched. Why? Because you have been in places of worship, whether it's Battlefield or some other church, or maybe you've heard it on TV, or maybe you've actually watched a football game, and you've seen somebody hold up a sign that says John 3.16. And so for most of us in this culture, in this community, you've heard, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And, and I want to caution you to be very careful about that type of attitude when you hear John 3.16. Because that's a huge verse. Without it, you and I are most miserable today. And so, and so we see this, for God so loved the world. And so for us, it doesn't seem very far-fetched. You're like, oh my gosh, is this all you got? I mean, I came to Battlefield and you're going to bring out John 3.16. Did you not prepare anything else? I mean, did you not go to Bible college, Pastor? <laughs> yeah, I went to Bible college and they started right here. For God so loved... 
He so loved the world. You see, to Nicodemus, this would have been strange. You have to understand the cultural, the historical context of this. When Jesus is talking to the lawyer, who, by the way, comes to Jesus at night, Jesus says, for God so loved the world. After, remember, he says, verily, verily, I say unto you that you must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God, and on and on. But then he drops down here to verse 16. He says, for God so loved the world. Whoa, time out. Nicodemus would have said, no, Jesus, you misspoke, for God so loved the Jew, is what Nicodemus would have thought. You see, because uh, we are God's chosen people, and so Nicodemus' thought was, God so loved the Jew, not the Gentile. But Jesus flips that thing upside down on Nicodemus, and he says, for God so loved the world, the cosmos, everyone in it. And so this would have been something crazy to Nicodemus to hear. And even today, even today, I think we've heard this verse so many times, and yet we still, in our infinite, in our finite minds, we question the love of an infinite God. We say, how could God love the whole world? Now, I'm going to get real crazy here. How could God love the evil and vile and wicked person? How could God love that man who went into that church just a few weeks ago, right? How are you telling me that God so loved that man? How can you tell me that God would love the thief, the murderer, the rapist, the liar, the prideful person, the child abuser, the fornicator, and on and on? And such were some of us. I'm so thankful for God's love. And the fact of God's love is that it's not based on your goodness or my goodness. It's, back, it's based on the fact that God himself is love. It's based on his nature, not my goodness. Notice it says, for God so loved the world. This actually means that he loves everyone. I like that song. I think it's a Matthew West song, uh, Jared. Uh, Unforgiveness. Unforgi- uh, it says, love the unreachable, the unlovable, hey, it doesn't matter because God loves us all. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what you've thought, what you've said. Romans 10, actually, if we have this, Romans 10, verse number uh, 12 and 13 says this. Paul writes to the church of Rome. He says, for there is no difference. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is love. Guess what? Therefore, he loves. I'm so thankful that God loves. You know, if we just served a God who judged, we'd be in trouble today. But we serve a God who loves in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And really, I'd encourage you to read that whole chapter. In fact, you ought to read the whole Bible, but just you could start in 1 John 4. You're like, I only have a couple of minutes today. Just start in 1 John 4. The Bible says in verse number 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is of God. And it goes on. It says, And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Now notice verse number 8. He that loveth not. What does it say? He that loveth not. We live in a time... We'll take a pause just for a second. We live in a time where I see less and less and less and less love one to another. 
We want to criticize. We want to condemn. We want to talk about people. We want to think bad about them. We want to judge them. We want to tell them what they are, what they aren't. We don't know people, and yet we're talking about people. The Bible says, He that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? For God is love. In fact, if you were to look at verse number 16, at the end of verse 16 of that same chapter, the Bible tells us that God is love. He literally is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. See, I think the reason John repeats what he says in verse 8 all the way over in verse 16 is because John understands, and he, he's taking delight in the fact that God is love. And so he says it in verse 8, and then he says it again. But guys, if you'll show verse 8, yeah, thank you. Notice what it says. It says, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. What John is saying here is that God is not merely benevolent. He is benevolence itself. He is benevolence itself. So here's what John is saying. He's saying God is kindness. He's compassion. He's generosity all rolled into one. He's all those things all in one. You don't have to ask God if he's kind because he is. You don't have to ask God if he's good because he is. You don't have to ask God if he's compassion because all you have to do is look to his mercy and grace. And you understand that he's compassionate. And so this is what John is saying. John is saying God is the personification of all these things. He acts, he demonstrates, and he shows his love. I like what the Bible says in Romans 5, 8. It says, but God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, typically, we would look at that word commendeth, and we like to break it down by saying that God proved. But that word actually means this. It means to set together, to introduce, or to exhibit. In some cases, God introduces his love to us. Do you guys see that? See, if you never heard of God's love, the way he introduces his love to you is that to remind you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, it wasn't anything that was based on me or you, none of our goodness. It says he set it together, he exhibited so when we consider the facts surrounding God's love, we see something that I say to my wife all the time. Love never sits still. Don't tell me you love me and just sit still. Thank you, Linda. See, and I know this would embarrass him if I even say his name, but we have a couple who celebrated their anniversary. And I asked if they had a great anniversary the other day, and... Uh, Wife said he's spoiled, and he said she's spoiled. <laughs> but one thing I know, that's a good thing, because that means that they're actually active in doing something to spoil the other person. Am I right? See, love never sits still. It did not sit still with our Lord Jesus, and it should not sit still with us. Oh, yes, my dear friends, as we ponder the many wonders of Christmas, we're reminded once again that Christmas truly is the greatest love story of all. Not that movie, The Love Story, back in 1970. Christmas is a love story. Listen, in her poem, I love this poem, in her poem entitled Love Came Down at Christmas, Christina Rossetti wrote these words. She said, love came down at Christmas, love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas, stars and angels gave the sign. Worship we the Godhead, love incarnate, love divine. Worship we our Jesus, but wherewith for sacred sign? 
Love shall be our token. Love shall be yours and love be mine. Love to God and to all men. Love for plea and gift and sign. Oh, absolutely, love came down at Christmas. In fact, John writes in 1 John 3, verse number 16, he said, Hereby we perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If you go back to chapter 4 and verse number 19, the Bible says that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. I remember when I first met my wife. Uh, I don't think she thought too much of me. But I thought a lot of her for obvious reasons. I said, that woman is pretty. I love her. <laughs> I love her. But I can tell you, I've met some pretty people that were really hard to love. Just because you're good looking or pretty don't mean you're easy to love. She took mercy, gave mercy and pity and grace on me and married me. I have a thought here. Considering the facts of God's love, I just wrote this down. If love really and truly exists, then we're going to have to act and express that love. So, okay, I'm talking to you this morning about God's love, right? But if you're sitting here this morning and you say, Pastor, I love God. Then I say, really? Do you love God enough to serve Him with your whole heart, with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength? Do you love Him enough to love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love Him enough to worship Him in spirit and truth? Do you love Him enough to give your life to Him? To let Him do what He pleases with your life? I mean, how much do we love Him? Because I look to the cross and I'm reminded of how much he loved us. That's the fact, as they say, Jack. Secondly, the evidence of God's love we see also in verse number 16. The Bible continues on. It says, for God so loved the world. And then it continues on. It says that he gave his only begotten son. You see, God demonstrated his love in the most perfect way possible. He gave his only begotten son. That means it came from within him. It gave his only self to us. John 1.14 says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of, John says, as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Oh yes, God not only loved, He so loved. In fact, He so loved the world that I say this, He sent and He gave Christ not only to live, but He sent and gave Christ to die. You may remember about four years, well, maybe you don't remember, I hardly remember it. Four years ago, I started our Christmas Eve service and, and I had a little manger up here. Some of you are nodding and I, and I, had, I went through this monologue where I was basically uh, throwing the fish bait out there, if you please, and, and I was talking about the little baby and how cute the baby was and, and did you want to hold the baby? Oh, look at the little baby's hands. Look at the little baby's feet. You remember that? And I was talking about, uh, and everybody thought at this point that I either had a dog or something because there was no noise being made up here. And so I said, do you think his mom would mind if I held the baby? And I reached down and I picked up this little little uh, wrapping of swaddling cloth and, and I laid it on here and I 
shook it a little bit and tried to tell everybody to hush, hush, hush. And then I revealed that underneath the swaddling cross, cloth was a cross. Reminding us of God's evidence. You see, he loved us enough to send his son not only to live for us, but he sent his son to die for us. In fact, in verse number 16, the word gave actually has a twofold meaning. It has a twofold meaning in verse number 16. It indicates that God gave his son to the world as an example. Jesus says, I've left you an example. Remember, he was washing the disciples' feet. He says, listen, I've given you an example. You need to serve one another, right? But he also sent and gave his son for the world as our redeemer. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. When I think about our savior as the redeemer of the world, I'm reminded what we're told about this savior what would happen to this Savior in Isaiah chapter 53. Turn with me there. And notice with me what the Bible has to say. I actually wanted to read this whole passage, so mark it for yourself and read it a little bit later. But for time's sake, draw your attention to verse number 3. It says that he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This is how much God loved you. This is is a future prophecy of what Jesus would go through. Now notice, drop down to verse number 5. Verse number 5 and 6, it says, But he was wounded for our... Excuse me, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Verse number 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And notice the last part of this verse. It says, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is God's love. The evidence that we see of God's love. Verse number 10, this boggles my mind. Notice what verse number 10 says. It says that it pleased, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put in him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall shall prosper in his hand. Hold on a second. Why, why, why would this please God? Notice what it says. It says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why would God be pleased to bruise his only son? I give you one word, love. It pleased God to do it because he so loved the world, because he loved you. Sir, I don't know what your situation is. Maybe you've been fighting the gospel all your life, but God proved his love to you so much so that he he was pleased when Jesus went through what he went through because of his love for you. Oh my goodness, I think about God's love, and it blows me away. I think about what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And you know, verse number 20 talks about that we're ambassadors of Christ. But verse 21 says, For he hath made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. As ambassadors of Christ, I'm so thankful for his love. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 13. We could go on and on all day, but we can't, we don't have time. The Bible says in Galatians 3, 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He actually became a curse for us. We have no idea. I don't think we really comprehend it. God is his full cup of wrath. 
When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying, not my will, he, when he said, not my will, but your will be done, before he actually prayed that, guys, he said, he said, let this cup pass. Don't put it on me. And yet God said, no, it's going on you. And Isaiah tells me that it pleased him. How crazy is this love of God? The evidence of God's love can be seen that God himself actually took the initiative. He actually took action in your behalf, in my behalf. Why? Because he loved us. Oh my goodness. The facts and the evidence of God's love. Number three, the purpose of God's love. We see the conclusion here in verse number 16 of the purpose of God's love. It says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The purpose of God's love was, still, and always will be the same. That's to save man. That's exactly why he sent God's purpose of giving is threefold. He sent his love to save us from perishing, to save us to eternal life, and to actually save us through belief. He saves us through perishing. Notice verse 16. It says that he should not perish. The word perish here means to destroy fully, to die or to be lost. It carries the idea of being without hope, being without peace, and being without life. And God says, I'm going to give you my love so that you don't have to be without hope. I'm going to give you my love so that you don't have to be without peace. I'm going to send the great peacemaker into your lives. I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you peace. But I'm also going to give you my love because I want you to experience everlasting life. Because the physical life will come to an end, as many of us know, and have lost loved ones. And you may be discouraged today because you're thinking about a loved one at this blessed time of the year. But I want you to know that God came so that we could have life, so that we would have peace, and that we would have hope. Why? Because He loved us. Oh, He saved us to eternal life. John 10.10, Jesus Himself, He says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He says, but I am come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I think about the love of Christ and how he saved us from perishing, saved us to eternal life. But the real catch for us today, and if you miss everything else, don't miss this. He saved us through a simple word called belief. Do you believe? Do you believe that Christ is who he says he is? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But if you continue on, the Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, if you believe, you're going to make a decision. Say, you, you say, oh, I never made that decision. You'll have an opportunity here in just a moment. You have an opportunity in just a moment. See, you have a choice whether you receive or reject God's love. God doesn't force His love on you. I mean, He's not not some mean uh, uh, ogre trying to force something into your life. He simply loved you enough, willingly sent and gave it to you. But you have to receive it. I like, in fact, guys, throw up verse number 11 of Romans chapter 10. I was talking with Travis yesterday. And see, we like verse number 9. We like verse number 10. 
We like verse number 13 that says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I'm pretty sure, in fact, we like verse number 12. says there's no difference between Jew or Greek. Right? We like that. We like that. Oh, goody, goody, goody. But you know what the one verse that gets overlooked a lot in the Romans chapter 10 era? That's verse number 11. Verse number 11. You're already reading it on the screen and some of you are squirming. You're like, oh, 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 I, I don't know what he wants me to do about that. Well, it's not my word, it's God's word. And his word says this, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be what? Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. All right, let me, because I'm, let me dissect that for you. What, what the Bible is saying here is you're not going to be ashamed to declare it. When was the last time you told somebody you believe Jesus is the Savior of the world? That's not my job. That's your job. But wrong. That's everybody's job. You're headed for heaven. You ought to be telling somebody about it. What, do you want to go alone? You think it's a, it's a private resort just for you and your family? I'm serious, no. I mean, I'm, being, I'm trying to be a little lighthearted with it, guys, but I'm, I'm being serious here because, you see, God's love was sent so that we would not perish. His love was sent so that we could have eternal life. His love was sent, but we have to believe. And if you say you believe, then the Bible says you ought to be declaring it. You're not going to be ashamed of it. See, I, I have to beg people to look at me to see if they want to get saved today. Man, if you know that you're lost, if you know that you're headed to a devil's hell, you, I, I shouldn't be able to stop you from coming to an old-fashioned altar. You say, well, it's old-fashioned. It's old-fashioned. I don't like it. I got news for you. You either come and bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I got news for you. You're going to bow before him one day anyway. But why not do it now? He loves you enough so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. I mean, th this message has taken a turn. I get it, Lord. I get it. You're in charge. But I was thinking all week. I was like, man, this is going to be such a nice little easy peasy message. I'm going to tell everybody about God's love. And everybody's going to say, oh, pastor, thank you so much for that encouraging message. We just love you. God's love demands a response. It's not my love, it's his love. My love will fail you. I don't want to fail you. My love will fail my wife. I don't want to fail my wife. I don't want to fail my kids. My son and I, we were talking last night about responsibility. And how I have a responsibility as the head of the home to give wisdom that I, a little bit that I have. To encourage him to make godly choices, to make biblical choices. I have a responsibility to love my wife. I have a responsibility to get out and provide for my family. And if it weren't here, it'd be somewhere. God's love requires a response as well. The purpose of his love can be seen that he wants to save us. Number four, notice in verse number 17, the proof of God's love. The Bible says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. You see, the proof of God's love can actually be seen in the incarnation of Christ. In Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4, the Bible says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem that woman that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. In Isaiah chapter 7, all the way back when it's being prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14, the Bible says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. That says God's going to give you a sign. 
This is what the Bible says. God's going to give you a son. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I was reading in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1 yesterday uh, how the angel Gabriel was declaring uh, the, the news that uh, to marry this, this young virgin that she was going to bear a child. And he was telling her in uh, Luke 1, 26 and 27, he was telling her that she was going to have this child and she was going to name him Jesus. And so you guys are probably familiar with that story. And I was reminded of, uh, of this incarnation of Christ that we see Christ being uh, born of a virgin. And I was reminded, I was telling, uh, I think Larry and uh, maybe Carl or Travis were there the other day. I was reading a story where Dr. Adrian Rogers, the longtime pastor of the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, years ago, I was reading this uh, where he's telling the story that he actually had the opportunity to witness to uh, the world champion of yesteryear, boxer Muhammad Ali. And he had, he had organized and, and was able to have this opportunity to speak with Cassius Clay. His name was Cassius Clay. He changed his name to Muhammad Ali after studying Islam. And so Dr. Rogers is telling this story and he says, he says my prayer was that I could help Muhammad Ali see the error of his ways and that he would receive Christ as his savior. And he says, so that they were, and so Dr. Rogers, he's telling the story, and he says that Muhammad Ali and he were talking and conversing back and forth, and he said these words. He said that Muhammad Ali challenged him with this one question, and he said this. He said, you say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God because he was born of a virgin and that he didn't have an earthly father. He continued on by saying, Adam, Mr. Uh, Dr. Rogers, Adam didn't have a father or mother either. Doesn't that make him more of a son of God than Jesus. In that moment, Dr. Rogers replied. He said these words to him. He said, champ, I want you to understand this. And hear me well. Jesus Christ is not the son of God because he was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin because he is the son of God. Amen. Did you get it? I know it seems like semantics, but it's pretty important. Don't go around saying that Jesus is the Son of God because he was born of a virgin. Remember, he was born of a virgin because he is the Son of God. There's no other perfect way for him to come to this earth. And so he had to come through the virgin. Oh, what a distinction surrounding the incarnation of Christ. I think about the angels there in Luke chapter 2, verse number 11. The angel said to the shepherd, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Oh yes, the proof of God's love can be seen in that God actually sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world or judge the world, but to be the Savior of the world. What's amazing to me is that because of my sinfulness, quite frankly because of all of our sinfulness, we actually do deserve judgment and condemnation. That's what we deserve. We deserve a judging God. We deserve a condemning God. But I'm so thankful what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 4 and following. It says, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. That word quickened means he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved and hath raised us up together. Oh, praise the Lord, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I think about Jesus when he went, to, uh, when he went down the road there and 
He uh, called uh, Zacchaeus. You remember? He was dealing with old Zacchaeus. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Savior he wanted to see. Uh, we know the song, right? And Jesus told Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, the Son of Man is come. And he gave one purpose. He said, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is God's love. Everything, everything we see through Jesus' life surrounds God's great love. And then the last thing, and I close with this, is we see in verse 17, the very end of verse 17, is the means. The means of God's love. It says, but that the world through him, you see, through Christ, he's the means of obtaining God's love. You don't obtain God's love any other place. You don't, you don't go down to Walmart and buy it. You don't go down to the book club or Amazon uh, Prime shipping and get it shipped to your house. The only way you can appropriate, the only way that you can take hold, the only way that you can uh, make proper use of God's love, the Bible says, is through Jesus Christ. You see, God's love only is realized through him and him alone. Why? Because he's worthy. 1 Timothy. Notice what 1 Timothy 1, 15 says. It says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The only one worthy is Jesus. He's our mediator. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 and 6. A lot of times we only read verse number 5. But verse 5 and 6, the Bible says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for how many? I love that. I'm glad it didn't just say who gave himself a ransom for the Jewish people. I'm glad it says for all. And then it says to be testified in due time. Oh yes, he's the only one worthy. He's the only mediator. He's the only way. Jesus saith unto them that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. In John 14, 6. He is the only way. He's the only means. In Acts 4, 12. The Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You say, wow, man, that's a lot of scripture. We didn't even touch the hem of the garment. You know, you ever read the book of John? He starts off, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God, right? At the very end, you get down to the end of the book, John says, hey, time out. I couldn't write everything that Jesus did. Because if I did, this book wouldn't contain it. I could, not, I could not write everything that he did. And when I think about that, I'm reminded, why? Why did he do that? Why did it please God? Isaiah 53, 10. One word. Love. And so if you're sitting here today, we've talked about the facts, the evidence, the purpose, the proof, and the, and the means by which you can obtain God's love is through Jesus Christ. Because really, His love is the only remedy for death. His love is your only remedy or resource to combat sinfulness and shame. And it's the only remedy for you and I to ever hope to have a place in heaven. And so I encourage you, like I said at the beginning of the message, the choice of whether you receive or reject Christ is up to you. The question is, what will your answer be? Now, I'm going to do this a little different today. I'm not going to beg you to get saved. But if you've never trusted Christ, I want to encourage you. It would be a really bad decision to walk out of this room without repenting of your sin 
and asking Christ to save you, to forgive you and to come into your life and to change you from the inside out. You say, how do you know? Because I did that a long time ago. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.